No, no, no. It's going to be like a woodworking thing, like C A U. Oh, oh. Kalk. 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 That's what you wanted to say there. You know, oh, you want to. You should probably edit that out. That's a little bit. That's that's even too far for me. <laughs> So, Luke, how you doing? <laughs> oh, man, I had to put down a uh, dog that has given us such great joy. Oh, <laughs> what happened? I just saw... Uh, um, it was horrible. I saw the flood of condolences coming through our Patreon, but I didn't. So, uh, and I texted you this morning. But oh, that's what it was. You yeah. missed it. So. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, okay, so basically, I've, uh, for all of you out there in listener in a listener land from time to time, you've heard me talk about a precious dog, Sienna. Uh, she was a um, a Winston wired-haired uh, dachshund that we rescued about four and a half, uh, probably about four, uh, almost Okay, gosh. It was in December of 2015, so a little over four and a half years ago. Um, she, We got her. She was older. We weren't sure how old she, that she, um, at the time she could have been, um, seven or eight. We don't know. She's been having some back issues as well as uh, we think she had Cushing's disease, which is a thing that involves um, the, um, the liver, and she just drinks water all the time Yikes. and has to pee all the time, so I was taking her out at its worst because and you uh, you would have a urinary infection pretty pretty easily. So I was at her worst during the day, having to take her out almost every two to three hours. Yeah. Uh, she had um, diarrhea on Saturday night. We were like, "What the hell? Like this is not good." And then she had it again the next night, and it was really bad. Uh, like she did it right in front of us while we were watching. Breaking Bad, and it just smelled uh. like it just smelled like death. I don't know how else to explain it. it. Just was an atrocious smell, and so I saw that, and I just my heart just um, sank. She loves Aaron. She adores Aaron. Aaron's her world, and so uh, I said, Aaron, you probably want to say um your goodbyes now. So and she and um, she'd had a hard time. Oh, and Everly, not only a hard time, but just when we brought Everly home, her pecking order on uh, the pack. On the pack list went down significantly, and so <laughs> basically, because there was this other um, human being attached to Aaron at all times, and she was just like, "What the f- is this?" <laughs> and so uh, she did not care for the Everly at all. I mean, she kind of so did, funny. but she was she was also kind of like, mm, "I'd rather like." I mean, basically, she would she would stare at Everly, and then once Aaron oh would leave, she'd follow Aaron immediately. <laughs> so uh, I took her. Uh, to the vet, and I actually had a good feeling going into the vet because I thought she seemed a l- little bit better. But uh, they called me on the phone, and because I mean, it was actually kind of I okay, this is the thing that I've, I have kind of enjoyed with this whole COVID thing because we have dogs, we've had to go to the vet a, a couple times, and um, it just it just happens. And you have to sit in your car and wait. And there are certain own places where you have to just kind of wait in your car as opposed to having to wait inside. I greatly prefer waiting in my car. Yeah, no kidding. Greatly, no like, kidding. You can like watch, you know, like you know, watch a movie on, on your phone. It's a, like it's just, it's a thousand times better. So they called me, and I don't remember the name of this. It's um, is it like a sinus? I'm something something. So I did a bit of research on this after the fact. Her heart, and this tends to happen with dogs around her age. She's either she's either twelve or eleven. Their heart beats really fast, and then it stops for two to three seconds. 
Yikes! Yeah, and I saw that is her terrifying. Yeah, I saw I and I saw her EKG readings, and it was and you could see it; it would just stop. So we decided that we were going to um, put her to sleep. That was I mean, it was just horrible. Like you know, it was because you just feel it's just it's a dog. I want to be very clear. I'm aware that it is a dog. Like I don't know why I just had a, I just uh, had a Jersey accent there, but oh, there it's we a go. dog. It's a freaking <laughs> it's a dog. dog. I, I get it. The freaking dog. I get it. Okay, Gormley, I get it. Yeah, I'm one of those people that is like, Ugh, come on, people, it's a dog. But I know that people have huge attachments, and their pets are, you know, such a huge part of your life. And That's why I didn't want to bring it up in the WhatsApp group. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I've always understood that people like love their dog. I just I have a problem with people who like treat dogs as if they are the exact same thing as children. You don't do that. You love your dogs. You can love your no. dogs a lot. I think, yeah, like, it's, we're already on to the third day of her being gone, and I feel much better than I did the first um, two days. Um, and uh, it was, you know, I, I would, would be lying if I said I haven't, like, cried very hard about this. It's just, uh, oh, my so anyways, Luke. I just yeah, want to hold you. I want to hold you. I did talk you. to John because I knew that John, I, told, I talked to John about it because I knew that he would understand. So, <laughs> I like um, how you like, cut me out of this. <laughs> and I was like, Gomer Adam, they're not going to get this. Um, <laughs> Who, what, what John, what, what dog did John have that he had to put down? I mean, well, he, they, um, I mean, he, I think John, it was, it was his idea to get the dog in college. Oh, right. And then I think he Reese. grew up with dogs. Reese, poor Reese. No, not poor Reese. Reese also bit John's child. So that's why they had to get rid of Reese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Same reason why I had to get rid of my barley. Wait, you, you guys got rid a, of your dog? Yeah, we had a dog named Barley that we got a beer at a beer. Um, uh, Wait, is, is it the dog you had? Like, like you just had like a couple no, weeks ago? No, 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 no. That's uh, Buddy. Sorry, sorry for the confusion. Barley was a dog we had in uh, Austin, and I walked in one day, and Katiri's arm was inside Barley's mouth. And I grabbed the dog from the neck and threw him outside. But I love that dog. That dog was an awesome dog. My wife wife still cries about that dog. And I'm like, Shannon, aren't I enough for you? And she's like, you've never been. And and then you said, that's fair enough. That makes (laughs) sense. Well, you're not wrong. (laughs) And so so we... um, and, and I actually want to go into a whole thing about I, I don't want to make this whole episode about um, dogs and pets, but I do want to hit on it very, very briefly. So it, I felt weird just being like, man, I'm like talking about this creature's life. Then, you know, it is an animal. I get it. It's just weird to realize you're having that kind of a conversation when you're not used to doing that. And, and so I went. So I uh, so um, we decided to put her down. So I went into the vet and I was able to be back in the room um, with her. And when she came out, I just it was. That was difficult because she seemed like she would seem fine at times. And she was and especially when dogs have a whole bunch of adrenaline, they can seem totally healthy. Right. And so she just comes up to me. She, you know, is licking my face, my hand. She's just so happy to see me. And if if if, you know, she looked kind of old, but not like really old in the moment. Other moments she looks she's she has looked awful. And so I wanted to ask the doctor, and I, I, I was still going to put her to sleep, but I just wanted to know if we were to take her home, what's going to happen to her? And, like, how long does she have? And, and he said it's really hard, really hard up to tell. With those other um, the two things, she'd be, it would be just a medical, it would be a lot. And we wouldn't be able to give her the care that she, that, you know, um, that she actually needed. And it, or like, her um, quality of life 
regardless, was going to be very, very low. And then he said with her heart, she's going to be very, very lethargic, which she, you know, has been, especially this past this past year. And then he said, and, you're, and she's probably going to pass out a bit and then wake back up. But you'll see her just like fall down completely, pass out. And then just be able to wake back up. And I said, so would that only take a couple of um, seconds? And he said, yeah. And that hit me. She's done that before. We thought she had just, like, slipped or something. Because it's a pretty, it's like one or two seconds of being out, and then they're back. Yeah. And when I heard that, I went, oh, this is, she's not well. Yikes. Like, she's not well. And so that made it, that really made it being from this, like, really hard, I can't believe, uh, I can't. Be- I can't believe that I'm having to do this too. This is a mercy for her. Yeah. And so I was able to spend two minutes. I'm with her. I cried, and um, I just. It was. I just. I'm thanked her for the joy that she had. You know, because you know we got her. I don't know if everyone is. I'm aware of this or not, but we uh, had our first um, miscarriage back in. Uh, Late November of 2015, because we got pregnant pretty quickly after we had gotten married. And so we bought her, we got, we, so we actually um, rescued her kind of by happenstance a couple, like two to three, two to three weeks later. Yeah. And so yeah. she really bonded with Aaron because Aaron was having a hard time on with that. And she was a very empathetic dog. And so she, her and Aaron just, they spent the whole, their, that first day we got her, I had to leave to go to a um, work event. And Aaron spent the whole day and night with her. She, she got her a bath, got her haircut. She took her across the, the Roebling Bridge out in Cincinnati, <laughs> um, walked around downtown. For, I mean, it was like girls in the city kind of a thing. But it was good <laughs> for Aaron because, you know, we were still pretty new. We, I don't think we had been in Cincinnati for even a year yet. And having to go through a, um, a loss like that is really difficult. And so that's why her and she and she has always been partial to Aaron. I mean, oh yeah, it's absurd. This. It's hilarious. It's, yeah, it's it's crazy. And so I just um thanked her for the joy that she brought into our lives. And I just did what Aaron asked me to do. I just like um rubbed the back of her ears, which is a thing that um she loved. So and the and this vet was fan, he was wonderful and on so many levels. And he uh, um he came in and basically it's a very um simple thing where they. They give the dog a drug through an IV that puts the dog. It just helps them almost fall asleep. It is completely painless. And then they basically get a drug that will stop their heart. And she, so he started to put it in her. And she turned, and she was fine at first. And then she turned, and she gave me this look that was just a, oh, my gosh, what's happening? And it killed me because she looked right at me. Like, she just looked, I mean, it was just like, wait, what's this? And then she just got really peaceful, and she lied down right, like, um, right beside my leg like she has a thousand times. I just kept um, rubbing the back of her ears, and she fell asleep. And then he did the other drug, and then she stopped breathing probably about half a minute later. And it was really, really hard. Um, It was so weird coming home. The house is, because, you know, we had, like... It was weird because, and this is why I like dogs, we live in a world that really lacks narrative, and I think a dog can at times kind of provide that because they create um, a season in your life just by their sheer fact of being there for a short amount of time. Oh, that's interesting. And so yeah. it does build up the sense. And so when I look, and it's kind of, you know, she died the day after our five-year anniversary. It was at 12.03 on the midnight on the dot. And uh, I don't know if I'm a dollar or not. Who cares? But um, she, 
Like, you know, and it was it was somewhat poetic that she went after we had our um, first kid. And because she yeah. was our uh, the time of our lives when we really wanted to have kids, but it just didn't happen. Yeah. And she was there for that. And that's what I mean by they kind of provide a little bit of a, you know, a season. It's it's hard for me to imagine a um, life without her. And and we're, and we're and we're getting back into that um now and it's weird and it's hard it's especially hard on Aaron. I mean Aaron Aaron um works from home a lot and she would just follow Aaron wherever she went. And so uh you know it was very difficult but she was a really cool dog and I'm very I just was very I'm really thankful to God that we were able to have that it was it was it was a blessing in every sense of the word. So yeah. Oh man. Well I'm sorry you guys suffered this loss. That's huge. Yeah, it's oh Oh, 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 thanks, man. And, and, and like, we're doing better. I, I can already tell Aaron's got a little bit more of a, I'm a pep in her step. It's hard, you know. Um, we have, it's, it's, it's so funny because if you go through all of our pictures on, our, on Aaron's phone, it's just thousands of pictures of Sienna. And then it stops and it's just Everly. <laughs> just tons of pictures of Everly. That is, that is the way it goes. <laughs> yeah. But it's also um, funny too, because, and, and we've really, it's been, we've, you know, cause it felt so out of like out of nowhere, but then in hindsight, it's been obvious that she has gotten worse because we, cause we have a voice for, for her. And it started off a very, like a, a cute, like, Hey, how are you? Kind of a thing. And by the end, it was like, Hey Luke, Hey Luke, go fuck yourself. All right. I'm out of here. Thank you. <laughs> Roasted. <laughs> I'm going to pass out for five hours now. <laughs> you know, and it was like, yeah. well, there's a reason why it went that dark. <laughs> Even our impressions uh, got dark. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. So, yeah. So that's been me. Uh, sorry for uh, sorry for um, last week. Sorry for last week's episode being uh, released so late. Um, we just doesn't having a newborn is rough. So, yeah, and I think I might have contributed something to that problem. Uh, have, have you have you um, heard the episode? No, I have not. It was really fun. I think we should uh, do. It I again. think about doing that all the time. I was like, ah, I don't know if Luke will like that. He likes an hour to be like footloose and fancy free with folks. And- well, I think what really uh, made it work well is, uh, and if you can hear my um, air conditioning in the, in the background, feel free to, to tell me to stop. In fact, I shouldn't have it. I'm blowing on the Okay, sorry. Anyways, I uh, changed the air direction to being to being almost right on my face, and I thought that's that's bad. Um, it was. I could hear it. It uh, it was fun because it was v- very random. It was just, and I really picked people that, for the most part, I knew that would be able to bring it. Yeah. Did Sarah make fun of you a lot? Oh, yes, very much so. Okay. Uh, so it was, yeah, it's really, it is, we did a couple in- interviews, each about a half hour long, about a couple of different things. The first one was about, um, th- uh, it was about the um, Latin mass. And I, just, I wanted to have a person just, just come in, like, hey, here's why I, I like this. And then we talked to, to this other person who, uh, her and her husband, um, have a have this uh, great like photography business where they where they do weddings and stuff. Then I talked with the infamous uh, Sarah Rogers and I'm Sarah Rose Bort about uh, balancing adult um, ministry. So they made their grand debuts on the podcast after being um, talked about <laughs> talked about on here about two to three times a year. So how are you? Can you talk about how, how you are? Um, you know what a fun question that we even have to ask things like that. If you don't I, want to, it's fine. If you can just say it's been hard, that is fine. No, I mean, I can I can cry havoc and let loose the dogs of war. So, 
Uh, maintenance <laughs> worker was arrested. Now, I'm obviously not going to get into a lot of stuff because of legalities and such. But uh, a guy that was at my church, uh, and not I said a maintenance worker, an IT guy, uh, not the head guy. You know, basically, according to the story released in the newspaper, was he was he had a wildly inappropriate relationship with a. 13 or 14 year old girl up where he lives but his you know his office is in the middle of their school building parish school you know and stuff so it's just horrific yeah everything it's the worst is just horrific and so you know you do everything that you can to save the church save the school recover from all the damage and you find like this wasn't a priest this wasn't you know, gay pink palaces, seminaries coming at you to your children. Yeah. It wasn't any of that stuff. This, this wasn't a Ted special. Right. This was. <laughs> I'll take a number four, please. The Ted special. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is why I drink. <laughs> that's the, that's the uh, devoid of value meal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no supersize. If any. Okay. I'm yeah, for the right love now. of God. No supersize. <laughs> Those are French fries. <laughs> He's already <laughs> dead. He's already dead. <laughs> so, da, 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 da. <laughs> the, the summer, summer of, of scandal. 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 So, yeah. So, I mean, you could just imagine, you know, being on leadership team. So, let me just lay out like a couple events that happened. One, Stephen Lanahan, great guy. He's our director of communications and development. Well, he got nipped and went out and is now working for uh, a wonderful corporation called Bush Bay that we were one of the, if, if not the first Catholic, we were one of the first Catholic churches on their online, um, you know, money thing. But, like, that saved our butts during the pandemic because, you know, all these churches are making their money through. Yeah, um, yep giving through the offertory and none of them had online giving well we had 70 percent of our parishioners had already switched over so that was a lifesaver for us so a job saver for us so long story short he quit uh and he and so the day before he leaves hurricane laura parks itself over uh lake jackson and so it was just like awful so we like we lose all this work all this stuff come back on monday we have so much extra work to do and then we find out I think Monday afternoon, I find out Tuesday morning, I think. The the timeline's all blurry, but uh, basically I find out the next morning he was arrested leaving campus. And you're like, please don't say anything bad with sex stuff. Please say it was like tax evasion, like me, something. And nope, it was the worst things you could possibibly, could possibly imagine. Yeah. And, you know, I, we don't even know half the stuff. And it took a couple articles. Well, I let me rephrase that. I was not involved on the ground floor discussion. So I'm like, I'm not ignorant of what was going on. But, I mean, there are all these news articles that parishioners and school. I mean, we have a huge school. And so the school parents, you know, they're freaking out, obviously, as well they should be. Um, But you're just like, you're trying to do every damn thing right. You know, people hate you because you have masks. You know, like... Yeah. Like, oh, you make me wear a mask at church? I'm going to murder you. And you're like, okay, like, I get it. I get it. Like, you don't have to come in a mask. You don't have to wear a mask. Great. But it's, like, so much. Like, you're trying to just keep the doors open. 
the sacraments going, education happening, and then you get this like out of the blue shenanigans. And uh and then you got jerks on Facebook who, you know, you call yourself a Catholic and you're just waiting to pounce like viciously. So so you know, words, things, it's hard. Yeah. No, that's um it's truly awful. That's one of the worst things you could possibly go through. And so the whole time, like, <laughs> we're trying to get together to record, and I'm like, I can't. Like, I'm, like, sending no, emails yeah. and responding to people, and all I want to do is curl into a ball and die. Or, B, uh, watch the movie Tenet. Still haven't seen it. Is there something interfering with your happiness, or is it preventing you from achieving your goals? Well, I started going to therapy probably about maybe four months ago, maybe three months ago, and I just kind of realized that healing is something that the Lord wants us to receive, but healing is always an invitation from God. Quite often, he asks people to, to you know take a step out. We have to take action, and a great way to do that is through a group called BetterHelp. BetterHelp can assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. This is not a crisis line. It is not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. This service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime, and I'm going to send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and I'm going to thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule a weekly video or phone obsession so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. Those are weird, as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so that they make it easy and free to change counselors if you feel like you need to. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is indeed available. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, wants you to start living a happier life today. You can go to BetterHelp.com slash reviews and read some of the testimonials that are posted daily. So this is what we're going to do. We have a special offer for podcast listeners. You get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com slash foxes. You go to slash foxes and you will get 10% off your first month. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional counselor. BetterHelp.com slash foxes. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. When do you think you're going to go back to a movie theater? I would I would have gone by myself tonight if you didn't uh, say you wanted to record. Uh, I think Aaron's going to let me go as they're not open for the most part. They're not open out here yet. There's a few art house ones that are. So yeah, uh, I I literally do not care about like I don't think I'm going to get COVID from a movie theater, especially not our types of movie theaters that are all. You know, you have to get your seat ahead of time. They're all super. Yeah, spread I don't. Out, I actually agree all with recliners. You on that. There, there's really just not going to be a lot of people. You're going to have a higher chance of having of probably getting COVID at a protest than you will at a movie theater. As long as, of, as long as it's a peaceful protest, Luke, am I'm I right? The, I'm over the. I'm over it. I'll be real honest. I'm over. Oh it. no, I'm a hundred. All of America is over it. This is the, one of the things that I found out that is so fascinating. If you live in Twitter, like so many like celebrities do, and so many media people do. You have no clue what the like heartbeat of the country is right now. And I I mean there's some things I want to get into or I don't want to get into but like my political views have radically shifted because of all this stuff.
Yeah, I hate you. Yeah, fair enough. But I, <laughs> I literally, I literally am like, obviously, I'm just done with the ultra violence. Blaming the other side, I can't deal. I can't deal. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with. I here's here is what I'll say. I have. I'm still for the exploring the idea of do there need to be reparations. I'm still very much of the opinion that police brutality is is a real thing that we need to, you know, take a good, you know, hard look at. I still believe that we need to take a good hard look at um, systematic um, racism and just have a um a prideful um, a free chat about what that actually is. You know, I was kind of having a I was a, you know, there's sorry, I've talked about this stuff um a thousand times, but I just will say um, if you look at there, there is like slavery, and then you know there is racism, and they're not, and they are absolutely overlapped, but not completely. And uh, and that's what I keep, you know, that's that's what I keep harping on is that when you really look at racism, it has its, its it, it like gets a huge um, shot. Uh, it um, has like a stairway shot due to the nineteenth of century and. In modernism, and uh, I, you can't—it's not the same as like slavery. It's kind of this whole, uh, this horrible other thing that like then happens. Um, that all being said, I, I, I just the like the protests are ridiculous now. Like it's it's just it's it's, it's just it, it's not based in a um, reason, or it's not based in justice. It's not based in empathy. It's just like it's just anger. And some of the anger is caused due to horrible. That's some of the anger is absolutely just. Um, going to bars or trying to in, trying to intimidate people while they eat to join your cause is fucking evil. Yes, like that's I mean, some no, Nazi that is fascist. Yes. Yeah. yes, that is the very is heart horrific. of fascism. And here's the deal: I bought into the narrative. Like, as long as they were actually peaceful pros, I've said this from the beginning, it's a damn shame, quoting propaganda, it's a damn shame that no one listens until someone throws a Molotov. Like, yeah, that's true. There is an element where you do all the peaceful whatever all you want, but then there comes a time where, like, people just don't listen until there's, you know, a riot or um, an act of destruction or whatever. But when you know, the things really started changing for me, after we did that episode where we talked about Killer Mike, and I'm listening to that, and I'm like, and I, I don't know if you remember this, but I said, uh, I don't know if I said it in the show or not, or just us talking about the show, but my whole thing was, holy crap, we did this whole thing on the Tulsa race massacre, where the whole thing was white people needed to be superior, black people were opening all of these businesses, making all of this money, it became known as Black Wall Street, we had to burn it. It wasn't just about killing the people. It was about burning their future to the ground. And their future is their business. Their future is their business. And when Killer Mike said, which is a kind of an ironic name given the circumstance, stood next to the mayor of Atlanta saying, you burned down 60 businesses that were exclusively owned by people of color, especially women of color. What are you doing? What are you doing? And here's the deal. That's what it's all about. This is this is where you know it's not about protesting for the sake of change of people's lives. 
it is about this is where the destructive drug becomes consumed and it becomes like a bloodlust it becomes destruction for destruction's sake and then you start hearing in portland of all these people with guns creating a essentially a militarized zone and i don't need to get into any of the controversial stuff all you need to know is the very first thing they did was create an ad hoc vigilante psychopath armed police force so they're shouting defund the police when they take over the police precinct and city hall and then they create their own police precinct because it turns out you need to actually defend stuff when people want to take stuff. And I, my brain is like, I'm like, I don't know if I'm getting the right perspective on this stuff. So I just began doing a crap ton of reading. And uh, I had a couple people reach out to me being like, hey, I incredibly disagree with you and Luke's take on the Black Lives Matter stuff because uh, I've spent two nights now standing in front of my business and the business of black owners who are armed to the teeth terrified that some idiot saying black lives matter but really not caring about you know george floyd or anything like that it's gonna burn down our businesses and kill us and then you find all these uh progressive newspapers like in uh, i don't know if it was portland or seattle this woman is like yeah look at all these innocent people on the streets they're protesting peacefully and then she's like oh my god i'm in the basement bricks are coming through my window and it was the front of a progressive local newspaper and then she's like why are you coming after me i'm on your side and it's like this is like the end of the jacobins with the french revolution it's like we know only the guillotine and us not being on it we don't care and that's, who goes and on that's it. what bothers me like that's what bothers me is because this is where I was afraid this was going to. I mean, this is, this is where we all knew it was going to go. <laughs> but it, it. I still believe in that we have to wrestle with the idea that Black yeah. Lives Matters. Like, yeah. I, 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 I stand by everything I said. That, but also this is where I, I like in my heart of hearts. I also um, knew this was going to go, and this is why I get. This is why I wish more Christians would try to enter in t- to this because there's a part of me that just that th- thinks. We have to, like, we're the ones who are given the task to bring about the redemption of the world. I mean, sorry, let me, uh, we have to partake in, like, the the sanctification of, um, uh, of the world and the renewal of the world. And it doesn't just magically happen if people agree with us. Yeah. And, like, even when it does happen, it doesn't mean that you agree with it or that you enjoy it completely. You know, there are, and... Sorry, I wanted to just add, add that as as a, as a, as um, an aside that I think there's more that we could do besides I'm um, saying. See, I told you so. Right. So this is the the crazy thing is now the whole issues surrounding George Floyd and all of these like no oh, it's one, gone. It's completely no, gone. Yeah, yeah. No one thinks that George Floyd was like. A good, a, a decent cop thing. Everyone acknowledges that it was a horrible abuse of power. Now you're finding out that George Floyd did a lot more resisting arrest. Cops go nuts when you resist arrest in any way, shape, or form because they want to go home to their family at dinner tonight. Some cops are horrible douchebags who are incredibly violent. Most cops are not. But if you start resisting arrest, they'll go nuts. So you have this whole narrative around like, Let's understand cop violence. Let's talk about excessive force and what that means and what it doesn't mean. But now all we are doing, I mean, here's the deal. Before all this crap got politicized, 
African-American leaders in these communities were calling for more police. I remember that was one of the biggest things that was happening is they were like, they got the police to protect the white neighborhoods. And that's part of systemic racism, right? You got the police to protect the white neighborhoods. Where are the police protecting black neighborhoods? No, all they do is, you know, just take our young men and blah, blah, blah. Well, like the idea behind like defund the police, you know, that's not the elder people in the community who have been trying to get for better policing. I've said, uh, uh, and you and I have discussed this, we need to reimagining how we do policing. But when you are talking about the fact that, A, we are in the areas where that is inundated with guns, that has this uh, serious problems of our uh, people being given guns that can't even get a summer program, to take all policing off is something that I think uh, a latte liberal may go for as they sit around the Hamptons discussing this as some academic problem. But people living on the ground need proper policing. Yes, we need more uh, resources in different areas like mental health, but we do not need our grandmothers pray to those that are being the uh, users of products of the big gun manufacturers in this country. Right. Like they have. Been, I mean, I remember that from the 90s of like people like uh, and Killer Mike brought this up. He said uh, about Candace Owens when all these black people started booing her. You know, she's African-American um, black conservative woman used to be a liberal, blah, blah, blah. Um, but she was at this thing where she's like debating with all these people and Killer Mike starts yelling because some girls like some guy uh, audience is calling her like the C word and all this stuff and killer Mike just starts screaming at the guy. And he's like, you know, I don't agree with anything she's saying, but what she's saying right now has, is what Farrakhan's been saying from the beginning. And she was talking about, you know, like fatherlessness and communities and all that stuff. But the, the reality is like what this is, is not going to get what anyone wants. If yes. what you really yep. want yep. is, is, uh, a, a sustained conversation that actually leads to certain reforms. You know, I mean, if you have a hothead cop who sees, you know, all because he's been in a gang infested zone and he, when he sees a black teenager, he sees violent gang member, violent gang member, violent gang member. That's when he needs to be rotated out. And they do this all the time in the U S military. They do this all the time and they don't do it in the police force because i don't know what it's like up there in uh, dayton or, or cincinnati but like houston cops every police car you know has a signing bonus houston job P- houston pd jobs.com or whatever it is they are begging for really help. oh really yeah most police hmm. precincts especially for medium to large cities are begging for cops beg well and now what do you think you think more people well, are gonna yeah, join no Absolutely. And it's, I just, um, uh, it really makes me like, and I, I get so yeah. annoyed with people saying this is, um, um, we don't have to get into the <laughs> Trump thing, though I want to, but I'm annoyed with your sources. Um, <laughs> I didn't tell you any sources. You, you just, um, you, you uh, I'm not, annoyed, how, how do I put this with, what you said as to like why you changed why you changed um, why you changed your mind? I was like, that's what did it. No, that's- that was that was one thing in many. 
one thing. Yeah, in but many. you do tend to like you're like. Okay, oh, we'll come back to that. Here we go, Luke psychoanalyzing <laughs> the things I've been doing for the last. I three got weeks. so mad at you when I saw why I got so mad at you when I saw that was because I really I um, appreciate that we're that we're on the same page about it. Yeah, or we were because it's hard. It's really really hard. Yeah. And it's nice to have other people who like are kind of like in the in the same in the same in the same on the spot as you. And so when you change <laughs> when you change your mind, I w- I was honestly like fuck you, Gorm. Like I mean, like not like really. Uh, no, I, I was, knew you were because your immediate email was I want to see all of your sources, and I was no, like, because it's ignoring <laughs> Luke now. <laughs> I just hate that kind of crap when people are like, this documentary said this. I'm like, that's the worst source you could possibly, like. Uh, it wasn't a documentary. <laughs> Anything that I, is like. I, I, should we start talking? <laughs> Let me just explain this okay. one thing. Let me Fine, just explain go, this one thing. Go. So I have hated Trump since day one as a presidential whatever. He's a sideshow. He's a he's a celebrity. He's an actor. He's a he's a, he was on the WWE. I have not liked him from day one. A lot of people liked him because he was like, yeah, drain the swamp. He's saying all the things that reform politicians have always said. Right? I'm not in. I, I'm not an insider. I'm an outsider. So vote for me because I'm the real man right, or the regular man. And that was always his shtick. Right? That was always it from day one. And my problem was everything I heard and saw about him was like. Well, you're kind of embodying the worst of the uh, the average man. Like, you're making these racist comments about Mexicans. That's the one thing. Like, I'm just like, hey, I I cannot. Like, you need to backtrack that 100. percent Like, saying, oh, a bunch of rapists coming over the border. Now, of course, I never go and follow up all the things he said. But the the major comments that super turned me off to him was first was where he made fun of that reporter with disabilities. And uh, he's like, oh, I don't get it. I don't, yeah. And I was like, oh, F this guy. Like, here's some guy who has, uh, you know, it's a, I, I don't, he has some condition. I don't know what it's called. But I remember watching, you know, seeing on YouTube and CNN being like, President Trump, you know, known for making fun of people. Well, now he's gone too far. Or not President Trump, candidate Trump. And it shows him making fun of a reporter, and then it shows a reporter, and the reporter has a uh, deformed arm. I don't know exactly what it is. And I was like, oh, my God, that's, like, savage. Like, I have done so much stuff over the years, mostly because of my dad, of, like, working with, like, the Special Olympics and uh, working with um, people who are paralyzed, what do you call, the, the quadriplegics and the Paralympic Games and all this. Like, that's, like, a Knights of Columbus bread and butter thing, you know? And it's always, I used to, I mean, I don't, I never, I don't think I ever talked about this with you, but like my dad really, took, I my do dad, hearing that. Yeah, my dad took care, took Holy Communion to a girl with severe mental and physical disabilities um, for decades. Like as long as we lived in Oklahoma, every Sunday, my dad would spend two hours with this woman and he would take me and my brother over there. And, you know, it's so awkward for a little kid who doesn't understand and, you know, why, you know, she's. You know, like all the issues that you have. Well, that this girl is like a part of our family. I say girl. She was in her 40s. You know, my dad would every so often have to help her dad pick her up and move her because they were elderly and she was getting bed sores and stuff. You know, like zero mobility at yeah. uh, after yeah. like 40. And so to hear someone making fun of someone's disability, I was like, screw that guy. And then you combine that with uh, all the stuff around the wall and we're going to get the the illegals. 
And it's like, yeah, they're illegal aliens. I understand you know, the PC word is undocumented workers, but they are illegal aliens. That's been a term that we have always used. But you, you could tell, tell that he was wielding it like a baseball bat. Oh, you're a bunch of illegals, you know? And you're like, oh, gross. And, um, and there was one other thing that he had said that I was like, this, is a, this isn't a bombastic personality. This is a wretched and disgusting human being. Oh, I remember the like the old. I did not vote for him at all. I voted for a third party. People always ask, "Well, who did you vote for? Who did you?" Vote? I've always I voted third party since two thousand and four. Um, and I have no problem with that. And if you tell me I'm throwing away my vote, you're an idiot. I think a two party system is stupid. Um, but long and short, uh, I, I was just listening to this. Uh, uh, it was a gay guy who was talking about, I'm coming out, I'm voting for Trump, and here's the reasons why. And he voted for Hillary, he voted for Obama both times, all this stuff. And he starts telling a story, and he said, you know what did it for me was when I found out that Trump wasn't make fun, making fun of that reporter's disability. And I was like, what? Yes, he was. Like, I've seen the video. And he's like, you know, and I went and I watched the video that CNN puts out. So I, like, immediately fire YouTube, and I look at the video. 53, 59 sentence, CNN has this video, and I watch it. CNN cut a viral video, right? It wasn't a segment. It was the guy introduces it. You see the video of Trump. You see the reporter who actually Trump was referencing and his disability. And then, you know, the you have the righteous indignation. Then the clip ends. And I was like, yeah, what is this guy talking about? So I go back to the video, and he's like, yeah. And then you find out that that is Trump's imitation, not of someone with a mental you know, it's a, it's his imitation of an idiot who has to back of an opponent who's an idiot who has to backtrack, and he's like he does that all the time on his stump speeches. He did that repeatedly leading up to the 2016 election. He did that about Ted Cruz the week before. He does that almost always about Republicans that were facing him during the primary, and he's like, and when you real, and then this is what the guy said. He said, and when you see them him do that, and you realize. And this guy, I don't, I don't think he was a reporter at the time, but he was doing something with, with CNN. He's like, CNN knows that. CNN is at every stump speech recording. They know that this is like an unfortunate but go-to impression that he was making fun of the reporter, not the reporter's disability. He was referencing an old article, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, and that's what got me thinking. If CNN directly altered this video to make it look like Trump was making fun of a man you know, as uh, making fun of a man's disability on purpose, even though clearly he wasn't, then he said, as you know, for me, what else are they doing? What else, what else are they mocking, you know, or lying about or whatever? Now, I don't give a crap about, you know, I can, I can defend good and bad journalism and cognitive biases and all that stuff. But when he said that, I went back and I did the YouTube search and there's a video and there's no intro. There's nothing fancy. It's just a series of Trump stump speeches where he does that impression of Ted Cruz and Jeb Bush. And he does it of like 10 to five or six. I don't want to over exaggerate. And I was like, wait, what? And then, because the other thing was after he was president, remember the, the Charlesville um, or what is it? Um, Charlottesville, you know, the tiki torches, the yeah, idiots. Yeah, with the yeah. t- and he kept yeah. saying, there are fine people on both sides. And you, and I remember me and you talking about that. We're like, who's a fine person on the, as a white supremacist? What? How are you saying this? And in his original speech, he didn't condemn the white supremacy. And I'm like, come on. This is nuts. Like, just say the words. And then, you know, so I'm listening to Killer Mike and Candace Owen go back and forth. And someone shouts out. 
He's a, he never condemned white supremacy. And she said he has condemned white supremacy from the White House, from all these different locations, 42 times. He's condemned neo-Nazis. He's condemned the KKK, calling them un-American thugs. He said that 42 times. And he said, well, it took him forever. And she goes, he did it the morning, the very next morning. He didn't do it the first day because uh, he was in the middle of a press release on health care reform. And he didn't do it then. He did it the next day. Maybe he should have paused everything, found out about it, come back. Well, you can't rewrite history. He did it the next day. He did it twice that day. He did it three more days. And he did it 42 times. And I'm like, what is she even talking about? So I went and, there, you know, you watch the videos. And when he said there were fine people on both sides, he was talking about defending I remember a, that. Statue. Yeah, a statue. And, yeah. and, he, and what he was referencing was, and it was really unfortunate that he said, I'm sure he knew about it because of, this, that, or the other, but there was like three or four conservative groups that were there just to defend the statue. And then that night, the or you know, with the tiki torches, right, was the white supremacists and the KKK and the you know the the weirdo alt right people, right? And those people he condemned explicitly by name, repeatedly. The neo Nazis, the KKK, the thugs, they're thugs. All white supremacists, they're thugs. And he said uh, over and over again the next morning, and they're like, well, why didn't you come in him last night? And he's like, listen, they, I said there were fine people on both sides, and there were, and there were bad people on both sides. You saw that if you watch the footage, and I've watched all the footage, and he's referencing there's a handful of people on the left who came with literally bats and shields ready to fight. And that's why he was saying thugs on both sides. And so you start to hear this stuff. So I'm like, okay, you know what? Here's the deal. He has the thing that's been big for me since 2004, and you can attest to me annoying the hell out of you with this, is war. The I did not yeah, vote. Variant, yes, yeah. I did not vote for George W. Bush because he, I believe, not the U.S., he uses the U.S. military to self-aggrandize. I believe all of those men who sit in the Pentagon, shrouded away in positions of power, who then step away from office, retire, become lobbyists, and make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year off their military career that's supposedly so sacred we can't criticize. Meanwhile, the enlisted men, uh, like your buddy, you know, I I won't say him in reference to this rant, but your buddy who's in Afghanistan for multiple tours of duty, my buddy who served in Balada Air Force Base, Iraq, who literally I would be on the phone with him and projectiles are coming in, right? Like, warning, warning, projectile alert. You know, and I'm like, what the hell is that? And he's like, oh, I got to get under the desk. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, this, <laughs> yeah. is, this is horror. This is why I am anti-war because, number one, the Catholic Church is. And number two, just war theory rightfully upholds and protects the young men and now women whose minds will be sacrificed on the altar to Aries. And I do not want to just use war as a policy for United States wealth, right? That is immoral. It is evil, right? You can't do that. When Iraq was taken over, we defended one out of 13 ministries and that was the oil ministry. We didn't defend the arts and antiquities ministry, and it was looted or burned to the ground. We did nothing to help them at that time. Okay, so I am like full board. Donald Trump is the – and I heard this hardcore, super conservative uh, Catholic guy that I don't really care for. It got brought up in my YouTube channel feed. Once you go to one Catholic thing, it's like all the Catholic things. And uh, he was like, one of the reasons why I love Trump is he's the most dovish president we've ever had. 
And I'm like, what? Yeah. See, he came in. He came in with a big stick swing in it. And the and he continued drone strikes with I, which I think are immoral. I don't. Th- I, number one, I think the war on terror is immoral. I know there are a lot of nuanced things that we can talk about. There are people who hate America. Ninety nine percent of the reasons is because we're already over there, not because of just America in general. And number two, if you were to have a sovereign nation drop bombs on your country. Are you not at war with that country? If England dropped a bomb on our country, wouldn't we be at war with England? Yes, we would in a heartbeat if France did it. Well, let's say you don't even have, you're a piece of crap country that cannot, you're so poor, you don't have a, mostly a standing military. How do you wage war against a country bombing you? Well, you, you, you blow up your, your suicide bombers and all this stuff, right? You can't just indiscriminately bomb countries and then be like, Ugh. the CIA has a term. It's called blowback, where U.S. citizens die because of U.S. venturing abroad without congressional oversight, without a congressional declaration of war. It's horrific. We can debate that, whatever. Trump has stopped almost all of it. Obama escalated drone strikes. Yemen yeah. is one. I will say, if, if I can interject here. Yeah, please do. Really I'm so quick. full of myself. No, no. This is reminding me of that, like, on one episode where the, that we never uh, released where you went on about this for 45 minutes. <laughs> do you remember that? Yes. 45 minutes. Yes. <laughs> um, he did. And I'm still not going to vote for, for, for uh, Trump. And I can, I can tell you why if you want. I don't know. Uh, okay. Uh, anyways, what am I saying? Um one thing he was doing that I thought was really, and I, this is what I don't like about our country right now, is yeah. people are refusing to be reasonable and say, here's a good thing happening with the side I may not agree with. Yeah. Um, he was bringing, he was actually doing talks with the Taliban to end the war against the Taliban. And it was making and right before um, COVID happened. I don't know where it's at um, with it, but I, I do remember it was actually like he was, for all intents and all intents and purposes, ending the war with the Taliban. Yeah, and, and he's doing that now. Like he's yeah. drawing down the troops now. And one tr- one guy who was over, he served three, served three tours in Afghanistan, I think in the Marines. Someone asked him, like, "How do you feel about that?" And he goes, "It's good and it's bad." He says, "It's good and it's bad." And he's like, "Why?" And he goes, "Because." I know that when the U.S. forces leave, all the places where we were, uh, that kind of Islam is going to take in. They're, they're going to shut down all the schools. They're going to kill the little girls. They're going to mutilate their genitals. It's going to go right back to same old, same old. He said it's just going to snap right back to that. And he said, but at the same time, how can we run a country forever? It's not our country. We didn't conquer it. We're not getting the spoils of war from it. Like, why do we do this where we half conquer a country where our boys spill their blood all over its soil and literally there is zero benefit for us? And and there's minimal benefit for the people in that country. Some people get super rich, the corrupt ones. Like, they used to call the prime minister the mayor of Kabul, right? He's the mayor. Your authority extends nowhere outside of the capital city. The Trump pulling out of the war. It's like Nixon going to China. Only Trump can pull out. Only a guy who walks around being like, yeah, well, I got more nuclear weapons than the North Korea guy. Yeah. Only someone who talks like that all the time is someone who can say, yeah, we're going to draw down in uh, Afghanistan. It's fine. Right? It's just like Nixon. No one thinks Nixon's a communist. So Nixon could go to China. 
that he's not that, that you've you've heard that expression, right? Only Nixon can go to China. Yes. Yeah. So the idea of that is like if you have a guy that pretends to be a warmonger and he's drawing down forces, his warmongeringness, his talking tough, gives him shelter to draw down. Whereas Obama talked drawing down, but uh, outside of his uh, series of withdrawals from Iraq, did not didn't do really much of anything in Afghanistan. And then you you have all of this. You have changes of doctrine in military strategy halfway through a war that resulted in hundreds if not thousands of U.S. soldiers dying. And you sit there and you say, what's the cost? What's the cost? And then you have a president who's like, you know what? I think the most important thing America can do is take care of Americans first. And I'm okay with that. I want a pro-life president and to me that means he's anti-abortion and he's anti-war america loves war we don't realize that to be pro-war is to be anti-military because those are the people who die right i love the military i love all of these men who have given their lives in service to our country as a career as an enlistment as a ploy to desperately get out of poverty you know, whatever your situation, for whatever reason, you join, family pride, honor, that is awesome. The military is a demanding and hard life, right? But to have someone spend their blood because a bunch of politicians want a better bargaining chip terrifies me. I, I heard one guy say off the cuff, I wish the U.S. would just bomb Nigeria or some, quote, piece of crap oil country so that the prices will go back up and we can rehire again. Hmm. Right? Because mm-hmm. I'm, in, I'm in Houston, right? This is the, the bottom of the market. Like, you know, when, when oil, it, the price per crude, per barrel, is like nothing, it's less than nothing, you have an economic problem on your hands. And this guy's like, you know, even just threatening war causes the barrel, causes crude to go up because of speculation. And he's like, come on, just bomb a city. And I'm like, do you hear yourself? Like, this is how we get into this mindset that it's okay. I, I don't think, like, Father Frank Pavone, a priest for life, he one time said, uh, America condones violence because of abortion. I can think it's the other way around. It's the other way around. Our origin story is a origin story of a revolutionary war that we tell over and Hell over yes. again. Right. Hell yes. So when you're on the right or on the left, like, we, that's our origin story. And origin stories are so important. Reading the Iliad and the Odyssey, those things, those poems were told over and over and over and over and over again. But what is it? It's a war story. You know, it's the siege of Troy and Odysseus is coming home from the siege of Troy. And it ends with, it's, it ends with the Red Wedding. It ends with uh, the, his banquet hall and all, all the death that occurs there. And I say all this because when you tell yourselves your origin story, and you, I mean, you know, in America, we emphasize those two things, right? Uh, freedom at all costs, freedom isn't free, and uh, individual rights, right? But when you don't, when <laughs> you fund a military, it was like your friend who will remain nameless said to me, uh, I hate it when people say, don't uh, thank you for your service. He's like, I get it when they're being nice, but I mean, you have a paid military, you send us off to go so you don't have to suffer. And I remember being like, uh, uh, I, like, you have no words for that. 
and yeah. I'm anti-war. Yeah. Bombing other countries is wrong unless you're in war with them, and it's a just war. You can bomb the crap out of their country if you're at war with them. If you're not at war with them, don't do that. Don't do that. And Trump has stopped that, shockingly. Yeah. I just, and uh, the other thing is free speech. The other thing is uh, freedom of religion. I mean, you got to think, Emmanuel, Rahm Emanuel, who was Obama's uh, chief of staff, when he became the mayor of Chicago, wanted to block Chick-fil-A from opening any restaurants because their former president held a pro-traditional marriage view. He said, organizations like this do not belong in our Chicago. John Stewart, before he left The Daily Show, had a big image of the Catholic Church. And he said, I'm pretty sure what you just said is completely un-American. And if you're kicking out Chick-fil-A, you also got to kick out this guy. And then everyone started applauding. I don't know if they were applauding actually kicking out. But John Stewart was making the point, no, you're allowed to have these ideas. <laughs> like, you're allowed to disagree. You might not like them, but you're allowed to disagree, Rahm Emanuel. And that guy's allowed to have his pre- – but when you start to think of, like – you start to connect the dots, right? Obama saying these people, they cling to their, uh, their religion, their guns. You're like, I mean, come on. That's not, is that really all you think religious people are? And the answer is, if you're on Twitter and you're a hardcore leftist, yes. Yeah, yeah. And a Biden, Biden was literally in the middle of a speech where he was about to say the name of God. And then he stopped and he goes, God, uh, you, know, you know the thing, you know what we say. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by go. You know the you know the thing, and it's like this because half of your base hates God, like hates organized. What's to say organized religion? And you're like this mm-hmm. is. And I didn't say the whole base. I didn't say everyone who's a Democrat is anti God. I didn't say any of that. I know I'm pissing people off. I don't want to piss people off. I want you all to love me. I want you to tickle me. It's fine. We can love each other. But holy shit, people. Holy. Shit, this election is going to be bonkers. Yeah, it's going to be horrible. It's going to be horrible. I um, they're already talking about voter fraud with mail. Yeah, mail trucks. Here's what, can I can yeah. I just say like one thing Ugh, really yeah. quick? Please, mind. sorry, make me happy. Your make podcast. me happy. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, is okay. Here's my. This is all. This is this is um all um all that I'm going to say about it. The whole like, video thing with him and um, I'm making fun of a disabled person. Um, I never really believed it. And I, I, I probably, no, sorry, let me just uh, um, backtrack. I don't trust like the news media at all. At so all. I really, for the most part, I trust books that I can read their sources. Yeah. And so when you have a history book, like um, when I wrote my senior thesis, I believe I had to have like something like thirty-five sources. I don't. I don't remember if. Anyways, I, I have to prove where I found this stuff. So people, if they wanted to read and go, I don't know if that's true, but they can go. And say, okay, so we got this thing from like this book. I go and I, I check. Like they can be yeah. fact checked. It can. It keeps you honest and it yeah. keeps you accountable. Other things, and I, I think I lost a lot of faith when I, I never really cared for you know Dan Rather all that much. But do you remember when he basically lied about Bush? 
No, I don't. I don't remember the context. It's happened back in two thousand three, two thousand four. He was trying to do something. I think about Dan Rather wanted to go after George uh, George Oman W for something about like his like I don't a thing about why George W didn't go into the army or something. Oh, and basically, yeah. he lied. He had he had a source that I think he found yeah. out was wrong, yeah. and he and he went with it anyway to try to take down George W. And that's when I really lost faith completely in, in any sort of own media. And then also when as much I saw John Stewart a month ago, and I thought it was great, um, even though I didn't, didn't agree with about two thirds <laughs> of what he said. It's not funny. Like you can still enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. That's and what I love. And, that's what yeah. I love. And it's it's not how I would prefer to spend every comedy show that I go to, but still, <laughs> like you know, you know, um, test everything. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, hold on. To the good. How many people? How many? How many times do we actually do that? Um, yeah. So, um, and I started to lose some of faith in the American in the American public when people would get their news from the Daily Show. Yeah, especially our generation. And I think this is not like this is funny. This is not actually. You cannot base like your real. These are comedians. And it's a and the, I love and I love comedy and I love what they're doing, but they're not journalists. They're not authors. They're not you know historians. They're people who are sharing their uh, sharing their voice in a, a comedic fashion. And so I, I just I got a little bit like oh I just I lost a little bit of um, hope I guess in media because of that. And so. I just don't – if I can't see where you got your sources, I don't – I just don't trust you. That's why I don't like any of the YouTube stuff that you tend to talk about at times. I'm not saying – I'm not trying to put you in a bad corner or anything. I'm like that. I'm not trying to put baby into a corner here. Nobody, Nobody puts baby that. in a corner. Yeah. Nobody. No one would do that. But when I can't see your sources, I, I just – I can't – I used to teach this to the kids that I – when I uh, taught him a film analysis class, I said, when you watch a documentary, you, this is when you have to – you cannot take this on face value because you don't know if what they're saying is real or not. Right, right. It's just, uh, it's just, it is, it is propaganda. Yeah. Even about a thing that you think is interesting, it is propaganda. And because it's always going to come from this one person's point uh, point of view. And so, even if they're interviewing on people, you don't know how they cut that. You don't know, like they're just you. They are presenting with, like they're you're seeing what they want you to see. Yeah. Remember that. And they, it's not even what they want you to see. It's, I mean, it is, but it's the, the masterstroke is all the other stuff they screen out. Uh, yeah, yes, and, and that's, that's the I, thing that I think I think people don't get about the media. In the presentation of the news, and when you read a lot of what Trump has done, it's admire. I I get it. I understand why some people would want want to vote for him, especially when you see it on paper and you just see these basic facts. Like I understand the appeal of that. Um, I even am willing to go as far as to say I. W- I'm not opposed to the idea that maybe he's even had a conversion and is now pro-life. Because I, I can't deny a person the opportunity to, you know, convert. So there have been people who have said, well, like, you know, uh, of course he's done these horrible things in, in the past. But what if he's changed? I, I want to say, I remember I'm saying a thing where he even said, like, I have changed because of this. Like, you have changed me. Um, yeah, he said, he said in like 2014. 20- 
14 or something like that, he had a pro-life, a, uh, anti-abortion conversion. Yeah, and like, I don't know I, anything about it. I just remember yeah, all the people you know, at my parish sending yeah, me emails. I know, I know, and I'm not. I you know I tend to not believe that, but also I have to challenge myself to, you know, presume the good, and I have to admit that 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 is possible. My main thing of why I don't like Trump is I think he. And we don't have to. I just want to say, like, this is my piece, and that's yeah. it. And don't tell me if you, not not you. This is to all of like our listeners. Listen, <laughs> form your own opinion. You're like, you're a human being. You have of you have you have like free will. Um, I don't. I think you need a person in that job who can bring the country together. This is why I will always say I think F. I think that's one of the biggest pros of F. Um, Dr. Was that. Was you need someone who can who can do that, and if you don't, it can lead to some really really bad things, which is what's happening right now. And we haven't really had that in our lifetime for the most part. George Bush did a great job of that post nine eleven. Oh, I think that um, Obama could do it when the time called for it. And I'm thinking of um, Sandy Hook as a really as really um, a, as a really good example of 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 that. And I, um, I do think he's going to win, and I, I'm very annoyed with people who are saying, um, I don't put this, the people who are burning down businesses and who are doing all these horrible things, uh, who are like you know committing acts of violence upon, and you know, and there are people on the right as well, the people who like came with guns. And sh- I mean, there are people who have been shot on both sides. Everything about this is horrible. Yeah. I don't I think if Biden was the president and this stuff was going on, the same stuff would be happening in terms of the rights. Oh, yeah. I, I in terms of now just the rights, not necessarily a part of the narrative. I don't think it's just I think um like I think um, what really scares me is that um we live in a very um like our violence is hidden. You know, uh our violence is seen in things like abortion, child abuse, pornography use, all of that stuff. Uh, the rest of the world, it is very much not. <laughs> and um, especially in places where Christianity hasn't taken deep root. That like violent um, nature of man's heart, especially when you put in anger and hopelessness, it just takes a little bit to really get to that going. And I think part of the role of the of the executive um, of the executive branch is to um, uh, set the tone for the nation, like any good leader, like sets the culture, the you know the tone and stuff. And uh, I I just think Trump is way too um divisive, and um, it's all horrible. It's all very, very horrible. I mean, I, mean, I 100% I, agree with you. Trump is a divisive man. Absolutely. I mean, he wants to be. He feeds. He's, a, he's the perfect troll. He knows how to send out one tweet that will occupy the every 24-hour news cycle that'll get all this stuff and that his followers will either dismiss, chuckle at, or agree with, but won't hate him over. But the people who hate him, it'll flare him up. And then the people who love him, right, that group of, you know, 10% who are, like, in love with him, uh, they'll see that and they'll be like, look, here's more derangement, Trump derangement syndrome. And my biggest thing when um, 
It, it's funny that you said that about when you with the Dan Rather stuff. We were in Austria. I was in Austria a year after you. I don't know if you knew that. And yeah, uh, you bailed on us. You I did. There was a pretty girl. What can I do? Um, <laughs> hey, Miguel. And uh, hey, Miguel. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, but you're you so <laughs> you're so unitive uh, <laughs> and procreative. Um, it's a dual meaning. Uh, the I was sitting at a table in this beautiful island in Italy. It's a bunch of our friends. It's a bunch of the guys that I was walking around with. And sitting right next to us was one of the most beautiful women I have ever seen in my entire life to this day. She is obviously a model. And she's wearing a skin-tight uh, Playboy bunny, gold Playboy bunny, black shirt. Don't ask me why I remember it. And next to her is her boyfriend or you know buddy and uh he's a photographer and we're we're all talking he goes hey you guys are american and i said yeah yeah we went to go to college in ohio like blah 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 we're just on our our you know 10 day break or whatever and so we start talking and he's a photographer and i go oh who do you work with and he goes uh most i'm a freelancer but i mostly do stuff for the associated press and various online publications and I said, oh, that's awesome. And I, you know, I'm a nerd. I love this stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, what, what, what kind of photos do you do? And he goes, oh, I usually just travel around wherever George W. Bush is. And I specialize in taking pictures that make him look like an idiot. He's like, you'd be surprised at how much the New York Times all then buy my photos because of that. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, like when someone's, you ever pause a movie? When someone's like tight in someone's face and they're talking and they have a funny expression because they're in the middle of pronouncing a word. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, that's what I do for Bush. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, you know, like the silly, like, I, he's like, you've seen my stuff. I guarantee it. He's like, I just have these huge telephoto lenses and I just take hundreds of pictures while he's talking. And I pull out the 10 that make him look. And he goes, and I saw, and I was like, that is so weird. That is so weird. Now, this is also at the time when there were communist riots in Rome as, or in Naples as we're walking down the street. And we're like, hello, we are from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It was so funny. Except for Bart. He didn't say that. He was yelling pro-W slogans across the street at literally men uh, in, in full-on communist uh, garb. So, anyway, long story short. It was stuff like that, and then when I got into the whole anti-war thing, there was a book that was written by a left um, college professor. It's called War Made Easy, War Made Easy, and he breaks down how there was a union between the media, uh, the intelligentsia, and the presidency and Congress in order to make it easy to go to war, and he was focusing on the war in Iraq. Most people focus on the war in Iraq because they didn't see it wasn't connected with 9-11 directly, and so... He goes through and he shows you, like, the the screening that the media does to protect the war interests in our country is huge. It's huge. And when you talk about having a divisive character, like, George W. Bush brought unity into the nation because we were begging for it because we were suffering from that gaping wound called 9-11, right? Wartime presidents tend to have more union. Because everyone's boys are being sent off to said, war. Yeah. You know, yeah. FDR, like, he his policies were, you know. Uh, he was hated by people on the right pretty intensely. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, he, but they got behind him because we were on a war footing, and it's America, uh, and he's your president. But yeah. they were still, right, but you're talking, I mean, and also, I mean, yeah, he's not, Trump is not a statesman. That's why I don't like him. 
I, I would just say that FDR, I, it wasn't as it wasn't really like that. They were pretty like, um, I mean, they they were all for him when he declared war against uh, the Japanese and against the Germans, but they'd already declared um, a war against us, so it wasn't. It it, it 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 wasn't this George Bush esque thing that you had after um, where he had like a ninety two percent a approval. Right. A approval do you re- do you remember the days when Congress would declare war? weren't those the days? Those were the days. <laughs> oh, this was a dumb episode. I'm just kidding. God, it's Luke, good. it's contentious episodes are so difficult to navigate. It is. No, no. I I'm, I'm not like angry at you. Are you are you angry at me? No, not even the, in the slightest. But. I know the arguments like, well, Gormley, did you see this? And it's like, yes. Did you see all the stuff that Joe Joe Biden is incredibly pro-choice because he has to win over the extreme left. And I like they are anti-religious liberties. Like they're like, uh, this is what I said. I remember one day I went on a rant to a priest who was very left leaning. And I said, for everyone who voted for Obama, you brought this on us. You destroyed the Catholic social justice movement. And he was like, what does that mean? And I I wasn't talking to him. I was just saying this like we were talking in general and talking about. um, So I I wasn't like, I'm never that way with priests. I'm too clerical. Uh, So uh, he's like, what do you mean? I said, well, didn't you hear? Like part of Obama's thing is like if you're going to give aid uh, federal dollars, you can't be a faith-based organization, which is what. W had done, right? All these faith-based, faith-based, faith-based groups were getting federal money, and they weren't allowed to before. So Obama took that away, and he said, uh, and, and, and then it came out with the uh, Obamacare that the only people who would be granted exemptions from these new rules would be those religious organizations that are engaged explicitly and only in the promulgation of their faith. So mm-hmm. preaching, if, but if you own a soup kitchen, no, you can't do that. So you started to see, and I remember all these people from Catholic Charities who were like, 95% of our income comes from private donations, 5% from government sources, usually grants. But if this goes, if this goes in, most of, we will, like, a lot of our stuff will shut down because we can't do both at the same time. And I was like, so either the Catholic Church has to say, no, we're only a social work organization or we're a gospel spreading organization, but you can't be both in Obama's America. And I used to know this stuff, and I was going through the legislation. You know, gosh, this was five, six years ago. And I'm going through with this guy, and he's like, "Uh, well, I just, you know, I mean, like, it's not that you approve of everything they do. And I was like, no, I know that. But what I'm telling you is... We've, you know, certain people voted for Obama thinking, well, I at least agree with his pro-poverty stances and and helping people out in welfare, whatever. But then it dismantled our welfare help. It well, it dismantled our ability to. Now a lot of that stuff got walked back by the Little Sisters of the Poor, whatever their name is, suing them and all that stuff. Um, but you just begin to see these fights happening. In, in the most bizarre ways. And I am nervous where Democrat leaders omit un- one nation under God from their Pledge of Allegiance. Right? Like, that mm-hmm. makes oh, me yeah. nervous. Mm-hmm. That makes me nervous when they omit that. It's a U.S. motto. The motto is, in God we trust. 
one nation under God is on our coins. Like, this is not an offensive thing, even if you're an atheist. You just mumble your way through it or you don't say it. But to have a platform where you actively refuse to say it, these type of things unnerve my core because it's not freedom of religion. It's anti-religious voices. It's actually, well, yeah, I describe it as um, an, um, anti-theism. Yes. That's, yes, that's, you said that once. That's, yes. that's the rise uh, that I stole it from, uh, Jim Beckman. Um, that's what we're seeing more of. It's yes. that, uh, that this hostility to the idea of God. I mean, there was a thing on, on Reddit, and you know, and again, it's Reddit, so it's a godforsaken <laughs> hellhole. But there is this thing where where uh, um, this one person had it was like a screenshot of a tweet that was you know upvoted to um, oblivion, where this person said uh, they want they want um they they want a more more um like more like abortions and less God. And it had a person re- and it had a tweet that was a response to that, that um said exactly. And like, that's the kind of crap where I'm like, Holy shit, people <laughs> like, like you can't, um, uh, you, you can't, you can't do that. You know, like you can't have a, a, a just a society and do that. Like, and what really concerns me is this idea that, um, Everything now becomes a human right. Yeah, where you know we're told you can't speak up about about abortion. I mean, there, I know people who have who have actively said, in, like this is in the. I think I've talked about this before. I've heard a soccer uh, reporter who I do not like uh, talk uh, talk about that we should shame anyone in uh, U.S. like soccer. This is like the culture. So a coach, you could have have like a player who whoever that is quote unquote pro life because they deny um abortion, which is a human right. When you put it like that, you are so cut off from the reality that it makes it really hard to make a connection. I think this is what Balthasar is talking about when he's talking about the Anima Technica Amavaco and how connection isn't really possible there. Because you're just you're so turned inwards and you're and everything is just so freaking twisted that there's no reasoning with that. There's no reasoning with that. Because it's beyond reason. It's yeah. inherently from where it's coming from is unreasonable. And yeah. what can you do with that? Nothing. You right. can do nothing. <sighs> this is why everyone who like every every parish that has a um, uh, that has some sort of like a plan can shove it up their ass because it's not going to work for <laughs> this inherent reason. Yeah. How many um, strategic um, plans have we seen that have that have um, wasted probably millions of dollars in the church and in the paper printed out alone that was never used again <laughs> that has been wasted on these plans that are doomed from the get go because we have failed to understand the freaking culture within within which we live in. I'm angry, Gomer. No, don't stop. I'm, I'm excited. You're angry. I'm ex- I want to go well, drink like, some alcohol. Like, like, but like, it's it's the same thing, right? It's yeah. the exact same thing. It's a it's a it's is a feel. It's, there's this thing that's, um, I mean, and just in a few um Catholic um and a few Catholic stuff you should know episodes. Sorry to the clerically speaking guys, and I'm bringing them up again. But um, <laughs> where um. It's this idea of uh, I've heard of, I've heard of Father John talk uh, talk a lot about dwelling in reality, and that's where 
our happiness is, is that, yeah. you know, it's, it's about like, like being in reality, which is where God is. Like God is in reality. If you look at all the theology, it's important because it is reality. And when you not deny- to be confused, not just real quick, not to throw you off, not God is in reality, not to be confused with the late nineties alt rock band. God is underwater. Go on. <laughs> or the, uh, or the late nineties Christian rock band reality check. <laughs> or why not a writer in Reality Bites, which I was in the movie. Go on. Wait, you were in the movie? We've had this conversation so many times. I feel like we have. <laughs> where, where are you in the movie? The gas station scene. They pan out. There's a chubby little kid on the corner. That's me. I don't know if the scene was actually in the movie. I refuse to watch the movie because I'm scared. I've never looked at it. I'm scared if that was edited. But it's the most famous scene in the movie, and I don't want to see it in case that was edited out. I want to see this right now. <laughs> it's Reality Bites. Gas station scene. <laughs> I ruined you. Screw everything we're talking about right now. The world is awful, anyways. Okay, so I'm watching the scene. Where's my Gomer? There is is. Uh, I like um. What's that actor's name? Oh, it's the dude from that thing you do. This is a. Do you want to know how like '90s this scene is? It's got the dude from That Thing You Do, the guy who goes, Steubenville, Janine Garofalo, Ethan Hawke, who is like low-key and one of my favorite um, actors, and Winona Ryder in one one shot. (laughs) Man, I can't believe I'm watching this scene. I can't. I have not. I have refused to watch this scene. I had someone tell me. Do you like a remember of seeing them and stuff? Yeah. So it was at the Shell gas station across the street. It was a Sunday. I had just left the church where Adam Robozelli got married. And that's where we went to Sunday Mass. I'm across the street. I'm watching Winona Ryder. And the director comes up, kneels down in front of me and my brother and says, hey, will you look over there at the gas station? He goes, hold it for three, two, one. Now you're in the movie. We just pan the camera around. And I was like, oh, cool. I think you may have gotten cut. I think I did. I'm watching her pay get paid. I know exactly where all of these scenes are. It's so funny. Oh, I think I got cut. I'm watching her count up her cash. Oh. And the one um, that I saw. Wait, she's back. Wouldn't that be so funny if I'm in it and this is the first time I've ever seen it and it's live for our listeners. Ah, dang it. I don't think that happened. (laughs) Oh, the scene just ended. Dang it. No Gormley. Only fear. Only f- No Gomer. Oh, I think I was watching a different a different scene. We got to find a way to wrap this episode up, Luke. We've talked about dead dogs, sexual assault, and how I'm voting for Trump. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it does make me sad that you're voting for Trump, just because I liked having you on my side. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just alone with it, and it bums me out. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though my wife uh, feels the same way as I do. But she doesn't count. I can't Yeah, first. no. It's, it's, it's not the same. <laughs> She's not my gomer. <laughs> Man, this whole time I came into this thinking that we were going to talk about the Iliad and the Odyssey. Nope. Wait, why are we going to talk about the Iliad and the Odyssey? Because I just read them this week on audiobook. 
<laughs> so you didn't read them. You heard them. I heard them. Why? The reason why is I'm, I'm reading another book, Eat Fast Feast, which one of our Patreon supporters is reading for the September challenge, challenge, challenge. Hey, you did a good um, job of putting stuff out there during the first week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been getting a lot of feedback from people and we did a Zoom call. We did a Zoom call and like 16 people showed up. It was pretty awesome. Nice. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. My church pays for a Zoom account. I might as well use it. Am I right? Up top. Did they miss me at all? Uh, no. No one even uh, brought you up once, I think. Not even uh, Not even a little bit. No. That's no. Why, why would you That's ask? Fair. I don't know. I'm just, just, just curious. I'm just kidding. Um, the So September Challenge, for those of you who don't know, I came up with a series of incredibly absurd rules. But the basics are trim your diet, uh, move more, usually weightlifting and like body weight exercises. Uh, and 10,000 steps. That's kind of like my goal. And um, uh, what is it? Diet, movement, cognition, and prayer. So the cognition part is read a book a week, 250 pages or more. Uh, can't be childish fiction. It has to be something more demanding. I don't care really what it is, but that's like the kind of like the minimum. One guy's doing Brothers Karamazov. I think it was Thomas. I may be wrong. He's doing Brothers Karamazov, and he's like, it's 900 pages. I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm doing it for the whole month. I was like, hey, fair awesome. enough. Fair That's enough. fair, yeah. Um, but uh, I decided that I wanted to have the Iliad and the Odyssey read to me because that's how it, you know the Rhapsodes used to proclaim it. That's how people heard it, and I wanted to hear it proclaimed. And, of course, they didn't have it proclaimed to him in double speed, but that's neither here nor there. Daddy had to get his <laughs> steps in, so I went on many walks. And it was freaking amazing. I love the Iliad and the Odyssey. I it's love great. It. It's it very re- important. It really shows you the difference that Christianity makes. I mean, it shows you the difference Christianity makes. Like, uh, you know, the whole thing opens up with the book, uh, in the Iliad with the word rage, right? Achilles' rage at Agamemnon. Agamemnon being the great king over the Greeks. They're on the shores of Troy. They all have all their stuff with them. And some of their stuff is slave girls. And Bresis, which is the slave girl that's the prettiest on the island, is Achilles. And Agamemnon takes her for himself. And so Achilles, the greatest warrior ever known, sits out. All the battles. Known as Brad Pitt. Yes. Uh, Sits out. See, that's the problem with the Brad Pitt Troy show is they demythologize the whole thing. Yeah. So it it, it doesn't make sense. It's myth told as a non-myth. Hollywood needs to stop doing that, but it can't because it's anti-theistic. Anywho, so the full circle. The idea of this woman who was a wife and uh, she wasn't a mother. She was a wife. She had a home. And then Achilles sacked her home, killed everyone, killed her husband, and took her away as a captive. And she kind of fell in love with him. <laughs> and 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 the literally the Iliad ends with Achilles having sex with her. Like that's how basically the the whole story wraps up. You're like, oh good, he got her back. Um, it's the <laughs> it's so fascinating because they land on shore and all the wealthy men bring all their like so many slave girls. You're like, what the hell are you doing with all these slave girls? You're in the middle of a war. Oh. You're going nuts. And it's like they just they have no problem saying, well, when we finally conquer Troy and we go in and we can rape all the women and we can sell their children and throw their babies off the walls, like, it'll be great, huh? <laughs> like, it'll be great. What? Well, what? Yeah. <laughs> Hence what I say when I'm like, the world is a violent place, people. Yeah. 
Yeah. The yeah, the the blip of nonviolence that we live in will I think disappear very quickly. But this whole thing like people complain about the crusades compared to this, the most celebrated piece of literature in the western canon. Holy mo- I mean it is it is fascinating, you know. And just hearing it all and and uh, you know like we talked about like the buffered self, right? This the modern self doesn't believe in gods or spirits or anything. So there's this complete line but to see how every aspect of their lives was suffused with this notion of the divine and the relationship with the divine. Like, oh, the reason why you're being punished is you didn't offer the best portion of the ox to Zeus. Oh, the reason why this, be mindful of the gods, always be mindful in your speech, blah, blah, blah. And then you could see, like, within that world, the Old Testament makes much more sense, right? Like, imagine going up to a Roman or, you know, a Roman citizen, so a Greek, you know, whatever, Greek speaker, and saying, I want you to get rid of all your gods that you've worshipped your entire life, especially that one god that you think is the most important god in your life, and adopt Jesus. Here's an image of him hanging from a tree. You know, like, the the act of, of personal, spiritual, uh, almost like suicide that it took to give up hmm. the old way to be demythologized by the cross is nothing short of heroic. And no wonder the people in the early church were heroes, right? Like we tell our origin story and it's one born of blood, not of murderers, but of being murdered. Right. But they face the most horrific thing. Well, it's like, well, they already died when they accepted Jesus. They carried their cross from day one. Imagine an aristocrat breaking bread with a slave that is not their own. That they're not forcibly having sex with, forcibly, you know, putting them into forced labor. That's their world. Here, Jesus, I mean, that's why the Christians were targeted. Because these women who were the wealthy patricians were eating dinner, the agape meal or breakfast, really, uh, with slaves and calling them brother and sister. We live in a post-Christian world. We live in the inheritance of that. Every human being who reads Ilya today is shocked by the barbarism that they didn't even give a second thought about, right? And that's why I think, like, that's why this one this one British um, historian, he was doing a, a study on the Roman Empire, and he was doing the works of the major authors, and the last one was St. Paul. And because he didn't really want to talk about Paul, you know, whatever. Christian, obviously, they're influential. And then he said, after going through Seneca and Cicero, and all these great writers, Marcus Aurelius, he gets to St. Paul, and he's like, holy crap, I think I'm a Christian. And because he recognized all the things I think are good, I only share in common with St. Paul, and I despise everything from what these men value as good, other than, like, you know, different forms of, like, heroism and stuff. But for them, heroism is not just being brave in battle. It's, like, smashing your enemies and then going and killing all their wives and children. You're like, oh God, okay. So, oh, hey. so that's why Game of Thrones was so appealing. Oh, yeah. turns out it speaks the language of carnality. <laughs> mm. There is a real carnal element to our culture now. That's kind of gross. Well, I think that's that's part of the uh, the disappearance of childhood, right? Is because we're shifting back to a visual medium of communicating. Communicate. That sounded weird. Communicating. Uh, that's interesting that you put it in terms of we are shifting back. Yeah, I mean that's the argument of Neil Postman 
in amusing ourselves to death and all those books it's like the 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 invention of the alphabet by the greeks in like the 700s was one of the greatest pieces of technology in the history of the world and yet the majority of people were illiterate until that's right gutenberg. i forgot about that and then when gutenberg invented the printing press everyone became illiterate at a shocking degree especially protestant countries and Martin Luther said to the Pope, like, I'm, I had no idea that people, like, in Scandinavia are reading my letters. Like, I don't understand how this happened. But cheap books became powerful. Yeah. And so the whole yeah, point of the yeah. argument was it cha- when you learn to read, which I think is the, a part of, of you talking about show me your sources, it's like in the writing and the reading, you can deal with long-form nuanced argument. Even even with Matt Frad trying to do long video, you know, and where people can go back and forth, that's great. But it's nothing compared to a book or a bibliography, right? <laughs> um, biblioteca. Biblioteca. So biblioteca. So disco. Right. So the whole idea is, as we shift now, because of the internet, so much of the visual and because really because of broadband. Everything is, it's not just words on a page, it's words on a page, but video and audio. We're becoming, we're going, we're, we're reverting. That long form reading is actually becoming more and more difficult. So if you can do it, it's like a freaking superpower. Isn't it interesting how, for the most part, like, okay, so when you talked about how, uh, you know, you have the Greeks, they invent the alphabet, but it's not until... When the printing press comes out in what the 1500s? 1570? Okay, something. yeah, 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 close enough. Um, and then there's like this, like there's this going backwards, like when we yeah. when we take this, there's this weird thing with mankind where when we invent a thing, we think it's going to take us far so far ahead, but it actually like it sets us back. Like if you look at what the printing press has wrought. If um, if people who invented it could or who advocated for it back then could see what would happen, would they do it? Well, Gut- not Gutenberg, would. a- Gutenberg wouldn't. Gutenberg uh, would totally have burned his printing press because he is like zealous about it, like uh, about his Catholic faith, and to see that that was the main vehicle of the Reformation, he wouldn't have done it. He would have burned. That's like the author. But it was uh, it was other people in his group that basically made it popular yeah and i think he even died penniless do you think like do you think it's gonna get more more violent yes do you know what i saw do you yes. know when like a lot of people really lost me i'm not What's saying that? they ever had me but when i was like i can't i can't i can't there was people with a they built a guillotine outside of jeff bezos's house oh god i'm just like what the freak is like what is wrong with you I, like I, I agree, it's a concern. Amazon's probably too big. Should, but like, my gosh, it's yep. just it's, it's like, it, it reminds me of the French Revolution so yes, much. Yes, but exactly. it's it's not the Jacobin clubs for all their atheism. The Jacobin clubs, and as a Catholic, I have to condemn them. But they actually believed that they. I mean, number one, they met weekly like a church. Um, and they had lists of virtues that they actively tried to cultivate. 
like they wanted to be the next the modern man, the next man, right? They wanted to overthrow the ancient regime, right? The ancient regime of of king and church. But at that at the same time, at least in the beginning, they were trying to make themselves worthy of the mantle they were ad- coming up to, right? Limited in scope. But then in the end, they all just murdered each other and that's how the first French Revolution ended. I mean, there comes a time where the guillotine becomes self-referential, and that's when, you know, that's when Atlanta businesses burn, right? That that makes no See, sense. I and I don't think we're at the point yet where I, I, I honestly do think it could get guillotine-ish. That's not a real word, but I'm tired. Um, <laughs> where, where the, like, they're going to start killing people. Like, I think at some point in time, they're going to take, like, someone's going to be... Like there will be, I, I'm concerned that there will be a public exec, execution. Yeah, and I don't think it's going to be a lot, but when that happens, I do wonder if that's when it's going to stop it, because that will be for the. I think for most Americans, like the vast, 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 vast. I mean, I'm talking like, um, a 99.9 percent of Americans. That's obviously horrific. Yeah. Hey, but did you hear? Did you hear what John Boyega said about Star Wars? Yeah, and I see that's what like that's the that's what's getting lost in this is that. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Luke. I'm mad. sorry, Luke. The force is female. The force isn't black. The force is female, Luke. <laughs> uh, so they, for, were, John Boyega's character was supposed to be on par with Ray, and he became a quirky sidekick that in the third movie. Almost entirely dismissive. No, but the no second point. movie had no point either. He's doing side quests. It was brutal what Disney did to him. And, 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 me, and, all and when you, you read his life story about why he's in, like, that's why I'm like, that's what people I mean to hear is the stories like of growing up and what he experienced. Like, that's what I mean by systematic racism is that. <laughs> but this is also the problem with identity politics. When you reduce people to groups, like when Obama got the nod for the Democratic Party in 2008, all these female writers came out and said, of course, a younger man gets the job from an older and more experienced woman. Right? Not, yay, first African-American in U.S. history to be nominated president or nominated, you know, whatever, for the Democratic yeah, yeah, Party. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm sure they sang a different tune when he was president. But, like... If it's just one, this is the part that gets me away. That this is the reason why I will never and have never voted for a uh, Democrat for president. But the idea of it is when you just reduce people to group affiliation and those affiliations are fluid and next to meaningless, that's when you set the tone to dehumanize vulnerable people. It's done in the name of protecting vulnerable people, trans community gay and lesbian community the you know black community people of color it it all is done in that name but then with but it's because of critical theory once that applies to group think it becomes so irrational so you have someone like joe rogan a fairly hardcore leftist who has no problem talking to people on the right who is enemy number one of this group or that group, depending on the week? You or have Bill all, Maher, yeah, yeah. You and you just cycle through. It's like they agree with ninety five percent of what you're saying, 
right? You're all in agreement <laughs> for the most part, but they ain't as woke as you. And then I think this is the issue. I think woke culture being the political manifestation of critical theory as a, as a theory, I think once that hits politics, it can't help but dehumanize everyone. You are nothing but your group. And then black men will now be pitted against white women or women in general. You already hear feminists who are targeting white women. What was a Bill Burr line? Uh, <laughs> You're in the jacuzzi with me. Come on. Like, are you really suffering that much? You're in the jacuzzi with me. Um, but that's the, if you only make it about your group affiliation, even even Catholic, right? If you only make it about your group, and I have no value outside of my identity, and my identity is whatever trending right now, then that's where we immediately dehumanize. Because the Catholic answer is the only answer, Luke. It's we are all made in the image and likeness of the God who loves us. That's the only answer, not identity politics. Go make a difference. No, it is interesting because like, we've experienced this in the Catholic Church, right? Because a lot of the movements post of Vatican II tried to find, tried to find like, unity and joy in our diversity. Yeah. And it it's a it's a house of cards because it, it's it's built on like it's nothing, you know like it's like like you, like it's in God is where we have our unity because that's a real thing. Yeah, and I'm not saying that like our diversity isn't important, but it can't it can't carry that weight. Right, it's not meant to carry that weight. And um, like when you look. At, at Europe, I don't think people really understand how. I'm mean, sorry, I'm still trying to understand how um, how unified Europe actually was in the medieval and in the Renaissance time period of how you could you know go to college anywhere and all this other stuff. And I think we tend to think of them as this like weird group of countries that came together post the Second World War in the European Union. And before that, they were just like a bunch of like a warring groups. And it's like, well, not really. I mean, there was, yes, there was, but there was actually, there was like a unified culture there that was very diverse because they had their unity in God. Yeah. And because of that, their diversity was able to flourish. I don't know. No, that's exactly like if you strive for an ideal, the striving itself is worth the fight. When you arrive at your ideal, you get a sense of accomplishment, but then there's no more striving, so it wears off. So then the phrase is, so it's good to strive for an ideal that is transcendent. Wouldn't, there, wouldn't it be great if there really was a God? And striving to be like God was an ideal, at least in certain ways. Goodness and truth and beauty. Now imagine if your whole society was based on that striving. Right. Everyone. See, this is this is what the Greeks called politics. It's the polis, the city state of people who are farmers and craftsmen and artists and beggars and kings and, you know, whatever. Everyone united together towards one overarching thing while at the same time them doing their own thing with excellence. 
and to foster how can all these disparate things come together? That's the point of politics, right? That's why Donald Trump is the unpolitician because he is not concerned with bringing us all together. But I don't think Joe Biden is. I don't think I really no, don't no, no, think no, 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 Barack yeah. Obama was, or George W. Bush was, or George Herbert Walker Bush was. I don't think these people are really excited about getting the band back together. But at the same time, right? The polis is like. Like and and so the that's why Saint Augustine called it the city of God. It's this understanding. I mean, his whole worldview was a Roman imperial worldview, and so he takes that model and says, "What would it look like if God really was the center of our lives and of our everything, our morality, the way I regard you as a human person?" But all you and I do is we look at lesser things and we say, "You unify us." And then when we get burned down and we turn to sports and we say, sports, you unify us. At least I can, I, I can sit next to a liberal and cheer on the Rockets without talking about abortion. Oh, wait, now all the NBA is political. Oh, wait, now all of ESPN, ESPN2, and ESPN The Ocho is political. Oh, wait, you know, it's like you can't turn away. Oh, if you play soccer, Luke, and you're pro-life, you should be publicly shamed. And you're like, well, shit, there goes soccer. Uh, what about this? Right? That's what it does. I'm not going to give that up. But yes, yes. So You will never take it out of my cold, dead hands. <laughs> you know, you think your world is all that you see. And because you fail to actually understand the world outside of you, you crap on things that mean a lot to this group here. But you're the center of you. And like he was saying how if you really look at um, nationalities, it doesn't really even matter anymore. Who really cares about uh, who really cares about like what country they are they are from. And I'm like, actually, tons of people do. And I think we see that um right now with you know, if you do take a look at the like I keep going back to the one actor um from um like uh, from like Hamilton who said he never felt American till he did Hamilton. Or that history was his till he acted as um, a Thomas Jefferson. And it finally gave him ownership over, you know, over, like, um, this history that is his. By all, by all right, it is his history just as much as just as much as it is mine. But because of his race, he always felt like it wasn't. And um, I'm like, and when you have that type of a depravity, that is, like, that is a poverty. To not have an identity, to not have a history is a poverty. And it it creates this weird sense of like you don't belong and that's why your country is actually really important and these people just they just want to write it off because it doesn't suit them or they're they're not willing to really understand um, what it actually means or they think life is meaningless so what's the point of anything besides this one thing here that i get a ton of joy from you know uh, that line that you said uh that you quoted from the actor who played thomas jefferson like now i feel like this history is my that's one of the things that i love about your origin story right because your origin story isn't exactly true right it's it's always a myth right like even if it's related like there really was a battle of troy that took place at like 1200 bc but Homer wasn't there. <laughs> you know, Homer was yeah. his his epic poetry was around the six or seven hundreds, and the but what he speaks is of a, an heroic age, and he is the heroic poet, and the rhapsodes that would speak it alt, often altered the Iliad and the Odyssey until it came down to our our final form. So we don't even know if the blind poet Homer really existed or blah blah blah. So I say all that because 
you know, one of the great lines from Martin Luther King was, uh, uh, gosh, how, how do you say it? Making sure that America keeps her promises, right? That all men are created equal. It was either him or propaganda. No, propaganda. No, no, no. It was it was actually what's his name? Uh, ah, God, Lecrae on a propaganda song. The song. That's right. Yeah. And he's quoting. He's alluding to a Martin Luther King quote because I think about that all the time. I'm just here to make sure America keeps the promises. I have that line always in my head. Uh, you got to admit that was a good impression. Anywho, <laughs> but like that's the that's the the tone, right? Like that's why we tell our like to me. Black America is one of the most important origin stories to tell. Brought in chains, fought for freedom, right? Like de- despised, depressed, yeah. denied, denied, denied. And even in America, because of the way America is ultimately set up, right, and is being purified, that's the true form of progress. Now they rise. Now they're a president. Now they're on the Supreme Court. Now there's, you know, they're sitting in all the different levels of government, you know, and corporations. Maybe they're underrepresented, okay, but there is no longer a concrete ceiling. There might be places where there's a ceiling, but like that is the most fascinating story. And in, in like, it, the, the saddest story is Native American stories. Right, like the violence, the I don't have a culture anymore. Like we're put on lush farmland. My people were nomads who fought or caught bison. We were never farmers. Why are we on farmland? You know, like all of this stuff that ends up creeping up around. It's it's such a tragic narrative right now. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the African American community, I mean, even when you bring in the Tulsa race massacre and all that stuff, it's an incredible story. But it, if you go to the origin story of America in the 1700s, you're going to – you can see, like, yeah, there were gaps when we said all men created equal. And I, that's what I love about the story, the narrative, the origin is, like, here it is, and it sucks, and it's not perfect, but holy crap, it's incredible. Like, we're the first nation formed from a creed. <laughs> you know, like, it's wild. Mm-hmm. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But we're, we lose it when we just say, oh, they're a bunch of rich white men. And you're like, okay, fair enough. They were. And that, that restricted a large part of what they were able to see in Nazi. And that doesn't mean that they're perfect. And no one's claiming perfection. Sometimes we you know, might turn them into canonizable saints. They weren't. John Adams was. But at the same time, John, God bless that man. He is not stupid. Love Hamilton. I get he so was not. bad at that. <laughs> Anyways. But no, that's the importance of knowing your origin story. And kids don't. When you ask them who is George Washington, they know he's uh, he's on a dollar bill and he he owns slaves. They don't even know that he's the first president. Scary. Uh, but you know golly. what, Luke? We we will change it. Me and you. We're gonna Through we're pa- gonna change. Patreon.com slash CF. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh my gosh. Um all right. It's just, okay. I think there's uh, something here. I can get maybe 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Um yeah. So thank you to our sponsor uh betterhelp.com/foxes. Uh, betterhelp.com/foxes. 
for sponsoring on this episode. Go and get counseling. You are probably pretty, pretty broken. You need some help. <laughs> there's no cake. There's no ice cream. Happy birthday. Yeah. Especially if you're a priest. All of our priests, like, you guys are awesome. Mad you love. I'm in the counseling. Now's probably the time. Five, four, oh, three. Oh, shit. Wait, I'm lying down on the bed. Naked. Five, four, three. Wait, 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 wait. Five, four, three, two, one.